I'm TL, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe. But our belief has implications on the way we live our life the rest of the week. We explore those implications together right here on Outside the Walls. November is such an odd month. It feels like there's so much to do in such a little bit of time. We start off with uh, with All Saints, and, and that launches us off, and we're thinking about and remembering those who have gone before us. Then we pray for the Holy Souls in Purgatory uh, on All Souls Day and then beyond. Uh, but there's there's more, uh, because three-quarters of the way through or so, we get Thanksgiving, and we're really, it's this it, its own season. It carries gravity with it. Uh, where the days before and after we're focused on that day. And then almost immediately after Thanksgiving, we launch into Advent. And of course, Christ the King Sunday's in there. You've got one Sunday after Thanksgiving, and then, and then straight away into, uh, into Advent. And so it feels like every week there is something to focus on uh, in, in this month. Well, if that's not enough, there's something else that I think we ought to be focused on. It's not part of the liturgical calendar. It's not even a national holiday. Uh, It is something, though, that fits very well within the ethos of what it means to be Catholic. And that is November is National Adoption Month. It's the, the, the month of the year that we take time to raise awareness of and focus on the topic of adoption. And being that the church is very much uh, pro-life, that we see the need to recognize the dignity of every human being from conception to natural death, it would stand to reason that adoption would be something that we would value. Beyond this, it's through the language of adoption that God explains our relationship with him, that through the redeeming work of Christ on the cross, God has adopted us, the spirit of adoption by which we call out to God, Abba, Father. He shows our relationship to him by saying that he came to us who were forsaken and orphaned and alone, and he embraced us and brought us into his family. There's this whole language of adoption that, that we should see adoption is something that God cares about. Uh, He cares about it so much that he adopted us. And so for us to take that same look and to mirror that that love of God to give to those who are around us. And I'm heartened a little bit by what I see in the culture uh, at large. Uh, I don't know if you keep up with movies at all, but there's a new movie coming out. I cannot recommend it. I've not seen it. I don't know what all is involved in it. And it could be something not worth recommending, but but I find it interesting that it exists. And it's a, a movie called Instant Family uh, coming out on November 16th. It has Mark Wahlberg, among many others, and it tells the true story, as much as movies ever do, of producer Sean Anders and his wife fostering and then adopting three children. And uh, the movie, honestly, could be horrendous. I've not seen it. Uh, the, the trailer is a very specific kind of comedy that he is known for. But what I find interesting about it is that the culture is beginning to, to see the value in these kinds of stories. And the kinds of stories that our society chooses to tell tells us a lot about where society itself is moving. 
So I love this picture that that there is a comedy out there around the the act of of adopting, and that it's a a, a comedy. It's a it's a movie that is glorifying adoption and putting it in a positive light. And so I think that it's it's so hopeful to me, just as it was hopeful a few years ago when there were some very pro-life movies that came out that, again, those movies may not have been ones that, that you would have wanted to see, but they were movies for the broader culture that, that shined a light on the value of life. And we had that with the movie Juno a few years ago, and now we have it with society pointing a spotlight on adoption. And as society at large is doing that, as our modern pop culture is doing that, I think it's important for you and I to take a long, hard look as well. Because the truth of the matter is, we have some preconceived notions about adoption. Uh, We look at it as if it's uh, way too expensive and way too difficult, and um, I'm not equipped for it, and I don't have the finances for it, and all these other excuses that we can make. And in doing so, we avoid the central question. When we look at adoption from the outside in, in terms of finances and, uh, and legal red tape and hoops we have to jump through, then what we're really doing is we are looking at it from our perspective, from what we can accomplish on our own. But this isn't the way that God operates. God operates by giving us a big, unattainable picture and saying, I can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all you can ask or think, right? He looks at us and he gives us some tantalizing view of something that plants a seed in our mind of, oh, maybe one day I'll do that. And if that's as far as we get, if we kind of push it down and push it away and busy ourselves with the other things of life, we'll never get to that place. But God is able, if we will let him, God is able to work out all the details if we're willing to be used. See, that's the central question, is do I have something to offer to a child who needs love? Am I able, in my family, am I able right now, with the help of God, to reach out and to make a home for someone else? As long as we're focused on the cost and the red tape and the hoops, we can dissuade ourselves from moving forward and being this icon of God's love for someone else. But if we take our eyes off of those things and instead fix our eyes on Christ and ask the question, what would you have me do? Well, now that's a different matter altogether because now God is in charge of the details and we don't have to worry about all the questions of finances or red tape. We only have to worry about what is God calling me to do right now? Maybe it's to foster, maybe it's to adopt, maybe it's none of those things at this time. But now it's God calling the shots. Open up your heart. Ask the question, God, what would you have me do? We're going to be talking right after this break with Jen McLean, who asked that very question and talk about her experience as a foster parent in the Diocese of Tulsa. Great conversation coming up right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on daily life. I'm your host, T.L. Putnam. 
And today we are celebrating, marking, acknowledging National Adoption Month. It's not part of the liturgical calendar, but it could be because we experience adoption in our own spiritual life. We have been adopted into the family of God by virtue of Christ's redemptive work on the cross, and they will know that we are Christians uh, as we bear the image and likeness of our Creator by the way that we show love for one another. And what better way could we do that than to take up that spirit of adoption, to care for the the widow and the orphan, uh, which the, the Scripture calls our spiritual act of worship. And so um, I want to encourage you to consider uh, being a foster parent or being an adoptive parent. And as we're contemplating that and talking about it today, I thought there's no better way to encourage you to do that than to talk to someone who who does this on a regular basis. We're talking with a very good friend of mine, Jim McLean. Uh, she has numerous house guests, as she calls them, that come through the house uh, as she fosters for Catholic Charities in the Diocese of Tulsa. Jen, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, T.L., for having me. Let's talk a little bit about um, you You are a foster parent, on and off. Uh, what, what are the, obviously there are different kinds of fostering because you do it on a short-term basis. There's also long-term foster care, and then there's also the fostering to adopt, and then adoption on its own. So talk a little bit about the scenario in which you foster, and then we'll go from there. Sure. Um, Generally, we are foster for newborns. Um, we uh, care for pa- babies whose parents are making an adoption plan um, or possibly making a parenting plan who may not be um, firm in their decision to place for adoption yet. They're maybe contemplating placing for adoption. Um, so we, we step in in that interim period between um, placing the child and the child being received by the adoptive family. Um, sometimes there's paperwork glitches or um, home studies aren't complete yet or various reasons why the, the baby can't go directly to the adoptive family. And we, we step in um, just for those few brief days, weeks, mm-hmm. and it takes the place for a moment. Yeah. It, it seems like... Um, it, I've heard some people say they don't want to get involved in fostering because the thought of becoming attached to and caring for a child for a certain length of time and then having to relinquish that child would be uh, difficult for them. How have you found that to be and and what do you um, how do you work around that to be able to to give life and to give love in such a way that you know from the beginning in your case that that child is going to be placed somewhere else? Right. Well, um, from the beginning, we know that the, the, we are not going to be the primary caregivers forever. Mm-hmm. We're, um, we're a step above babysitting, obviously. We, we have them in our home and we love them and care for them. And there really is no way to do this without getting attached. If you do this, you have to get attached. They need that love. Um, and I understand why they're not going to be with me forever. And, and it's not as... Uh, terrible as as people feel it might be um to make that break it's not a break you get to see a new family formed um and be part of that and that is an amazing feeling um the first first foster placement we had that was the toughest um intellectually i knew that the child would be going to her new family I just didn't realize how sudden it would be. I didn't prepare 
I thought I had prepared, but I had not prepared well enough to realize how much it would um, I would feel when she left our home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you do mourn. You, you there's a a while that you do mourn, but it's the overwhelming sense that this child has a mother and a father that loves them and cares for them. Um, that a new family has been created and you get to be a part of it. That, that is an amazing feeling. And, and we've always, um, my husband and I, we've always taken just great joy in that fact. And it's a comfort too. Yeah. Now, of course you're always doing newborns. So you have all of the, the sleep deprivation. Right. <laughs> and you, and you never get to grow out of it. <laughs> No, <laughs> you know, about the time I am just really dying for a good night's sleep, they go home yeah. and it, there is that relief physically. I'm, I'm getting older. So, um, yeah, it's a young woman's game. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get into this game? What was the, the first impetus for you to say, you know what? I, I hear the call. Uh, here's the the way that I interact that first time someone giving me the idea, the spark is planted in my mind. Yeah, I'm going to go for this. What's that story look like for you? Well, you know, uh, I hadn't really given it much thought. I uh, was at home homeschooling my three older children and uh, got the mail one day and there was the Eastern Oklahoma Catholic, our, our local Catholic magazine. And I was reading and they just had a little ad for Catholic Charities looking for a foster mom, foster family. And I thought, well, I might be able to do that. And I put it aside, just ignored it. Well, the next month came out and they were still looking. And I thought, well, I've been a nanny. I raised three kids. I know the newborn stage. I nannied through high school and college. I'm familiar with it. I'm I think I could do this, but I don't know if it's there next month, then I will call them. And uh, sure enough, the next month it was still in the, in the uh, paper. So I called them that moment and uh, rest is history. As they say, um, got an interview, talked with the director and, and uh, started the long process, you know. And how much history is that? How long have you been doing this work? Let's see. Well, we started, um, my daughter was nine and she's now, uh, 22. So it's it's been quite a few years. And through that time, how many, how many children have been a guest in your home? Oh, it's in several digits now. Um, some years we have more than others. Some years it's just one or two come to my home. Um, but it's in the double digits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, many of the, the infants aren't placed with me. I'm usually, um, there's a, a little pause in the process. So I step in, in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The adoption process. Yeah. So tell me, uh, uh, maybe the time that you had, um, one of these house guests come to your home that, that made an impact on your, on your life, uh, in a, in a longer way, maybe in the interaction that you have with, um, with the child, or if you had any interaction with the home it was placed in where you uh, maybe had some spiritual revelation or some, uh, connection beyond the normal, uh, what, give us a story. What would that look like? 
Well, there, there's quite a few. They, they, each of them are so different and every circumstance is different. Um, the very first one we had, uh, our very, very first placement, my grandmother was dying of cancer. And I had this brand new little life who was only four pounds. She was a little bitty thing. Um, and I brought her to my grandmother's home. And just the joy that she saw and seeing that new baby that was overwhelming for her that she got to hold a new baby as she was preparing to enter into eternal life. It was unforgettable. And, and uh, I, you know, I don't quite have the words for it, but it, it that new life, there is something just so transcendent about it that, that we're a part of this miracle that, that my grandmother will go on and, and, and I'll still be part of her life and, and the little life that came to our home in that moment. Um, it was tremendously, tremendously powerful to be a part of that. Um, you know, um, and it was crazy timing too, because my grandmother passed on a Wednesday and our little foster baby went home on Friday. Wow. So it was a very, very close end there. Um, and we buried my grandmother and that Sunday was Easter Sunday. Oh, wow. And Easter Sunday, I get home from church and I'm just overwhelmed. You know, the, the loss, the uh, beauty of, of Easter, the gloriousness of Easter. And then I get a phone call. We have a baby girl. She was born today. Can you pick her up tomorrow? Oh. Heard it again. <laughs> um, it, it was just, oh, just just a wonderful time. Those those little ones are are nine years old now, um, and I've got to be a part of the older one's life off and on. I'll get invited to go meet up for birthday party or see her sometimes, which is nice. I don't usually get to see them once they leave my home. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but that, that was a, that was a really, really, um, touching time, you know, the, the, there's such a, an impact that those formative days have and these formative years have on the life of an infant, even though they, they might, may not fully comprehend it for us right. to be able to, to offer that and to, to give love and to sustain a life in that moment um, will will have lasting impact um, that that we can't even really fully fathom. Right, right. You know, it's it's so vital that they receive the love and the nurture, the care, um, just the consistency of of getting their food and, and their bottles and their diaper change when needed, and and their needs met. They they it it helps build that security in them, that love that should be there in those first few days. And that, that enables them to attach and bond to their new families too, is having that time where they are secure in their needs. Knowing, knowing that um, what I need will be, will be provided without having any question about it. Right. I mean, the, the moment that you start to doubt and, and if that's introduced at, before you can can even process, um, the moment you start to doubt, then that doubt never goes away. You know, you hear stories about kids 
who have been adopted and they have to sleep with a little bit of food tucked under their pillow because they don't know if they're ever going to get that again. They don't know if that next meal is guaranteed. And so being able to, to provide that continuous um, process where they always have their needs met, it delays that cynicism and that doubt until they're able to really fully process it and be able to look at it rationally. Exactly, exactly. And, and they do. They, they're little newborn personalities, but each one of them has a very distinct personality. Um, there are certain newborn needs that are universal, but each one of them communicates those needs differently. And, and you do learn very quickly. <laughs> what worked for one baby did not work for another. <laughs> you just start over and you think you know it all and then you get a new one. So, yeah. But, you know, we've had... Um, a couple of our little ones have stayed long enough that uh, um, I could tell them, hold on, wait a second, I'm getting it. And they, they would stop and listen to see if I was actually getting the bottle. And <laughs> so we've, we've had them, um, a few of them, for a long time. So. We're talking with today with Jen McLean, foster parent out of the Diocese of Tulsa, encouraging you this National Adoption Month to consider fostering or adopting a child. Contact your local Catholic charities and start the process today. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. There's much more to this conversation right after the break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on daily life. I'm your host, T.L. Putnam. And we are marking the National Adoption Month, the month of November. Uh, it's not part of the liturgical calendar, but it is something that is very uh, significant to us as Christians, as followers of Christ, uh, to, to offer life, uh, to, to give um, an opportunity and to give life to the, the orphan. In fact, the scripture says that to care for the widows and the orphans is our spiritual act of worship. So we we want to, as we worship God in spirit and in truth, uh, to be able to work out these acts of mercy. Right? It's part of uh, part of worshiping God is to to be His emissary and His uh, ambassador here on earth. That we, as the body of Christ, uh, go about bringing about the kingdom of Christ on earth as it is in heaven. We're talking today with Jen McLean. She's a foster parent for uh, Catholic Charities in the Arch in the Diocese of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Jen, thanks for joining us again today. Thank you, T.L., for having me. So let's talk um, a little bit about the the process. Um, we we have in our mind's eye. If you've gone to a March for Life, or you've gone to Forty Days for Life, or any of these wonderful events, uh, there is a certain mindset of uh, the, the, the damage of abortion that we need to put an end to, right? There's, uh, it denies the dignity of the unborn. There's a, just a, you, we could go on for hours and shows upon shows on this topic. And yet, uh, from personal experience, uh, as a, uh, a birth father, a biological father, I have a, a, a daughter who just turned 24, who was adopted and grew up in a wonderful home. Uh, thanks be to God. Um, uh, I tell people she comes from my Augustinian youth. 
Um, you can <laughs> look up that and that's a joke and there's, I'm going to make you figure it out. Uh, so, um, there is this moment I grew up pro-life and I, I knew all the right answers and I knew everything, uh, that was right to say and believe. And I had gone on the life chain as a child before this occurred. And yet at that moment where you're faced with this shock, um, there is this, all you see is the, the issue, right? You don't see the child. You see the, the problem, you see the, 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 the whole frightening thing that's going on. And your first thought is, how do I fix this? Right. Um, and so it takes the support and the encouragement of the people in the circle that are around you to be able to say this, the child is not the problem and we can handle this. You know, I grew up in the pro-life movement and yet it still was a flash across my mind before, uh, before better angels took hold. Um, and, and of course I never would have gone to that place only because I had that support network. Right. Um, right. And so we have these people who are on the right side of things. They're going to the March for Life. They're, they're somehow they're involved in crisis pregnancy, uh, doing volunteering, donating support, whatever the case may be. Uh, and yet fostering still seems like it's a, a niche industry. We, well, that's, that's for those other people over there. We don't want to get too involved in that. That takes a lot of work. That's a frightening prospect. Um, and yet, it is the answer for a number of people who otherwise feel like they have no other option. Exactly. You know, um, back, oh, 22 years ago, 23 years ago, my husband and I, my husband now and I, um, we were raised nominally Catholic. In fact, I was raised in a pro-choice home, a very stridently pro-choice home. Um, and we found we were in an unplanned pregnancy. And the very first thing that hits you is fear. You're afraid. What are people going to think? What are my parents going to think? What will my teachers or my friends? I was 19. I was entering my sophomore year in college. And I remember going to my husband's house to tell him. It was the hardest thing I had to do was tell him I'm, I'm pregnant. And in that moment, I'm sitting there on his lap and he's saying, he isn't saying anything. And I'm just scared waiting to hear what he's going to say. Mm -hmm. And in that flash moment, it just barely audible. You can take care of it. Mm -hmm. No one has to know. It was downright demonic. It was, a, it was something I wasn't thinking, but it's a thought that came to my head. And it, it took a second to, to hear it and and process what that was and in that moment i just shuddered there i couldn't i rejected it thank god mm -hmm. and the next moment um my husband said we'll we'll take care of this life and we were very fortunate that we once the initial anger was over <laughs> right and disappointment and lectures and all of those things that come um we had a supportive family and network but uh, one of the reasons we entered this um, fostering is we know, we know that fear. I had no job. I was in college. My husband had just finished his technical school. It was a scary time. We had no money. Mm -hmm. You know, um, there was a lot of fear. 
how am I going to do this? How am I going to parent? I'm 19. You know, it was terrifying. Um, but it, and then years later, when we're meeting these birth mothers and sometimes the fathers, um, they are uh, doing the absolute best for their child. They want to help their child uh, give them the best possible life. I think there's a, a, a myth going about uh, or a misunderstanding, really, that uh, if you place your child for adoption, that you're, you're taking the easy way out or you don't really care for the child. And that is absolutely a myth because every parent, and I've met most of our birth families, um, they care very deeply what happens to their child. They usually want to meet me and see who's going to be taking care of my child in this time. Um, but they're very, very much invested, the ones that I have been privileged to meet. Mm -hmm. um, you know, working through Catholic charities, we're not... Um, we're not in the uh, system of uh, traumatic foster care where the child has been removed from a home right. um, for various reasons. These are parents that are actively choosing and placing or actively um, discerning a parenting plan, sometimes at a very last moment, critical moment in their life. Um, so we just step in and, and help the best we can because we do know where they're coming from. We, we have felt and faced a lot of the same things. Mm -hmm. so. so for you, it was that, that article and that ad in the, um, in the, the magazine for Eastern Oklahoma for the, right. the, the diocese of Tulsa. And it came up three or four times. And finally you were, you gave in and you said, okay, this is what I need to do. Um, for others, maybe it's this show. Maybe this is the last straw of going and finding out the next step. What would you say to the person who says, you know, I, I like the idea of fostering, but I don't think I could pass the home study. And I think that my life is too hectic that for anyone to ever uh, allow me to foster, for me to choose uh, to care for a child. Well, I'll tell you, I... Having done it for so many years now, it, it's have baby, will travel. <laughs> we have, uh, they fold seamlessly into your lives. They really do. They're so I, small. I, they fit. They're, they're like, so they fit small. in the carry-on. Carry -on but maybe, maybe they're contemplating fostering older children. You know, you will never, ever regret the love you give someone. Never, ever. And you don't know how pivotal that love will be in that child's life. You know, there are never any regrets on our end. We get to love them and care for them. And some have been with us for just a day. Some have been with us for two or three months. And uh, we have yet to ever feel regret or that searing pain that people are afraid of. Oh, you'll get attached. You'll, you'll. You won't be able to handle the pain of them leaving. And, you know, the, the funny thing about it is, is, yeah, we're sad they leave. But we have so many good memories and we, we know that their future is good. They're going to wonderful families. And funny enough, after 
every time we've had them, there's never been that searing, gut-wrenching, I can't do it pain. It's always been, that was wonderful. I can't wait to do it again. You know, um, and that goes for um, my husband and my kids. And really, the biggest naysayers we had in the beginning were our families. They were afraid of us being so heartbroken or harmed by getting so attached to the child that they wouldn't that we wouldn't be able to handle the pain when they left. And those fears were really unfounded. Mm -hmm. It's never happened that way. We've just been very, very, very happy to have had them in our lives, even for a brief moment. Yeah. So the the way that you proceed, uh, I would say, is to contact your local Catholic charities, wherever you happen to be, Uh, whatever diocese you're in, you have one. Contact your local Catholic charities, and even if they don't do adoption, even if they specifically don't do foster care, they'll be able to point you in the right direction. And chances are, chances are they are doing adoption or foster care and can place a a child who needs care uh, into a home that will care for them and not only care for them, but care for them with the love of Christ uh, and provide not only for their physical needs, but also their spiritual needs. Uh, It's something that you won't regret doing. You might, you might regret how long you've waited, but you won't, you won't regret stepping out and saying, let me offer you the love that has been given to me uh, by Christ. Let me pass that on now to you. And I would say you mentioned earlier, Jen, of that stage of the the crisis situations where you've got a child who's been removed and they have so much wounding in and of in their heart. And you said you're never going to regret giving love. The truth of the matter is that person, that child may resist that love for a long time and they may they may react with a coping mechanism that's painful to a parent, that's painful to a foster parent. Uh, they may shout at you and do things that, you know, any normal teenager is going to do as well. Um, But eventually the truth of the matter is that you have still given love and Mm -hmm. you have been witness uh, to the love of Christ to them. And that will bear fruit. It may, it may not be immediate. It may take time to undo the damage that's been in their soul from the life that's come before, but it will bear fruit and make a difference in their life. So take the time right now, go online, find your local Catholic charities and see what it might take to begin the process of fostering. We've been talking with Jim McLean, good friend of mine and foster parent in the diocese of Tulsa. Jen, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Uh, Thank you. It's been a pleasure. There's more to my conversation with Jen available to all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com there, click the Patreon link, and find a whole bunch of extra segments available for just a little bit of a monthly gift, about $5 a month, about the cost of a cup of coffee. You can get access to all the extra segments, including today's with Jen McLean. When we come back, we're going to dive into our reading from Scripture and Church History around this theme of adoption. Don't go anywhere. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily lives. I'm your host, T.L. Putnam. We've been talking today about National Adoption Month, talking with Jen McLean out of the Diocese of Tulsa, where she serves as a foster parent for uh, for the Catholic Charities there. And uh, it's a fantastic discussion. If you missed any part of it or you want to go back and listen again or share it with your friends, you can get to that over at our archives over at OutsideTheWalls.com. While you're there, click the Patreon link and get access to extra segments with each of our guests for as little as $5 a month. That's one cup of coffee per month. You get four or five extra segments, depending on how many weeks happen to fall that month. Uh, An extra segment for every episode available to all those who support the show through Patreon. You can get to that at OutsideTheWalls.com. Click the Patreon link and enjoy the bonuses. We're going to turn our attention now to our reading from Scripture and Church History. And whenever we get into these kinds of conversations um, such as this, it's a very niche topic, talking about adoption, I always kind of wonder, okay, how is this going to work out as we as we go to readings? Because most of the time I pull the readings from Scripture out of the week that's at hand, uh, very often from either the Saturday or the Sunday readings right around the showtime. And, um, and then... The church history reading I generally pull out of sometime during the week out of the breviary. Uh, the very, very few exceptions to that. Sometimes I'll have to go looking for a very specific topic, but most of the time I pull right from within that week time frame. And so I get a little bit nervous when we get these very specific topics because I'm thinking, how am I ever going to tie this in? And it just goes to show you how good the Holy Spirit is because these readings, this uh, our reading from Scripture comes from tomorrow's readings. Uh, and then I don't re- recall which day in the week, but one of the days this week has uh, out of the bravery has our reading from uh, church history. And all of these just kind of tie together. Our reading from scripture comes from the responsorial Psalm out of Psalm 146. Praise the Lord, my soul. The Lord keeps faith forever, secures justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets captives free. Praise the Lord, my soul. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the just. The Lord protects the strangers. Praise the Lord, my soul. The fatherless and the widow he sustains. But the way of the wicked he thwarts. The Lord shall reign forever. You are God, O Zion, through all generations. Alleluia. Praise the Lord, my soul. Our reading from church history comes from a homily written in the second century. Brethren, we ought to regard Jesus Christ as God and judge of the living and the dead. We should not hold our Savior in low esteem, for if we esteem him but little, we may hope to obtain but little from him. Moreover, People who hear these things and think them of small importance commit sin, and we ourselves sin if we do not realize what we have been called from, who has called us, and to what place, and how much suffering Jesus Christ endured on our account. How then shall we repay him? What fruit can we bear that would be worthy of what he has given us? For how many benefits are we not in his debt? He has enlightened our minds. He has called us sons, as a father does. 
He saved us when we were about to perish. How then shall we praise him? How repay him for his gifts? Spiritually blind, we worshipped stones and pieces of wood, gold and silver and bronze, things made by men, and our whole life was death. Darkness enfolded us and nothing but gloom met our eyes. Then, by his will, we escaped from the cloud that enveloped us and recovered our sight. For he saw our many errors and the damnation that awaited us, and knowing that apart from him we had no hope of salvation, he pitied us and in his mercy saved us. He called us when we were not his people and willed us to become his people. Rejoice, O barren woman who never bore a child. Break into shouts of joy, you who never knew a mother's pangs. For the deserted wife shall have more children than she who has a husband. When he says, Rejoice, O barren woman who never bore a child, he is speaking of us. For our church was barren until children were given her. When he says, Break into shouts of joy, you who never knew a mother's pangs, he meant that we should not grow weary like women in labor but tirelessly and in all simplicity offer our prayers to God. He declares that the deserted wife shall have more children than she who has a husband because faith has now made our people, who seem to have been deserted by God, more numerous than those who were taught to possess him. Another text says, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, for it is those who are on the point of perishing who must be saved. It is a great and wonderful work to uphold those who are falling, rather than those who already stand firm. Christ willed to save people who were in danger of losing their souls, and he has been the salvation of many. When we were on the point of perishing, he came and called us. That reading comes from a homily written in the second century by an anonymous author. And lastly, I want to look at tomorrow's gospel, because this, again, speaks, I think, to us as we look at this possibility of what it might look like, what it might look like for us to go forward with what little we have and to offer that in love to someone who has nothing. This gospel comes from the gospel of Mark, and Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and observed how the crowd put money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow also came and put in two small coins worth a few cents. Calling his disciples to himself, he said to them, Amen, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the other contributors to the treasury, for they have all contributed from their surplus wealth, but she, from her poverty, has contributed all she had, her whole livelihood. That reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, and this is our gift. We, like that widow, come with what little we have, and we say, God, here I am, and here's all that I have. And I still have to eat, I still have to live, I still have to feed my family, but I trust you to do that. And so I give to you what little resources I have here. I give this little bit, these two coins, worth almost nothing, and I say they're yours to do with as you will. And so maybe that looks like uh, fostering short-term. 
Maybe it looks like fostering long-term. Maybe it looks like starting the process, just filling out the paperwork, beginning the home study to say, okay, I am willing to put in my two cents to see if anything can even come of this. And maybe as you go through that process, you'll discern that this is not the right time or the right place or the, even the right fit for your family. But better to let that come by way of discernment through prayer rather than just looking at the sums and saying, oh gosh, I could never make that work. Because if we never step out of our comfort zone, if we never say, ooh, I can't make this work, then God never has to step up. We never have to relinquish control of our life and say, okay, God, you take over. I can't make this work out on my own. You take over. And that's a place that God is calling us all to. It may not be through fostering or adoption, but God is calling each and every one of us to relinquish control of our circumstances and say, oh, oof, this is too much for me, God. You take over. Because when we do that, when we let go of the reins, that's when God's creativity really comes through. Because then God will take us to places we could have never imagined by his grace and his mercy. And we are enriched in our lives even as others are enriched through what God gives us, right? Because God never blesses us for our own sake. He does it so that the whole world might be blessed through us. And so I encourage you to begin a discernment process here in November. Call your local Catholic charities and ask them what the process is in your state to be a foster parent or an adoptive parent. Then ask, what are the first steps to take to begin discerning whether or not that's a fit for your family? Don't just assume that someone else out there is the one who's going to step up and, and make this happen. Don't assume that someone else is going to take care of all the foster children because there are very few who are currently doing it. And there are so many children who desperately need a home, a home that you could provide and love that you could provide. So I encourage you, take those first steps and begin a prayerful process with your spouse. Is this something that we can offer? Is this something that by God's grace and provision, even if we don't think we could do it, we're willing to try? It will certainly take courage. It will certainly uh, be some moments of maybe a little bit of terror trying to figure out how everything works together. But it will also be an incredible opportunity to watch that God really is looking out for you, for your material and your spiritual needs, taking care of everything you need and providing for you and your family so that you can be a lifeline to someone else. Visit us on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. That's all the time we have for this week. Today's show is brought to you by Carrie Carlson and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go over to outsidethewalls.com, click the Patreon link and join their numbers. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.